It sounds like there are people in here who know that the last verse of Psalm 23 is true. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever surely that's confidence in the shepherd right there you may not feel like goodness and mercy is following you right now but it is we serve an awesome God we serve a God who is full of grace who lavishes so much mercy on us he's for you he's for you Let's pray together. Father, today we celebrated some of your attributes. We called you holy. We celebrated and declared the fact that you are faithful. We even broke it down and said, you're all that. And then, Lord, we just declared the promises that are yes and amen, that goodness and mercy are running after us. Lord, you're a good God. There is no God beside you. There is no God above you. You are God all by yourself, and we thank you that you have chosen us to be in a relationship with you. May that not cause us to be arrogant, yet alone stagnant. But might the fact that you chose us to choose you motivate us to live for you out of confidence as a son, as a daughter, and not as an orphan or a slave. We are accepted in the beloved because Jesus was rejected for us. Father, on the cross, you turned your back, if you will, on your son when he said, why have you forsaken me, Father? And you turned your back on him momentarily that you may turn your face towards us eternally. He became cursed so that we could become blessed. The transference that happened on that cross is beyond anything we could ever comprehend, but by faith, we believe it to be so. We thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we are hidden with God in Christ, and we bless you today. Now, Lord, we need a word to help us live out and practice what we are in position. We need help from the Holy Spirit today as we need help every day. But since this is the only moment that we have, we ask for help. And we thank you that we have help in the person of the Spirit of God. Now teach us your word. Show us what we need. We'll be very careful to give you the praise. For it's in Jesus' name I ask it all. Amen. Amen. 
As you're turning in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, I have to ask a question. Are there any college students home on break right now? College students, raise your hand. College students, home on break. College students, you can recognize them. They're the ones that have been eating well since being home. Amen. Good to have you back. Um, Who was here Wednesday night? For the ordination service. Can you raise your hand? Wasn't that just an amazing, amazing time? Um, powerful evening. And I'm so grateful to not only witness it, but to take part in it. Um, when we talked about God expanding Strong Towers, part of our vision to experience, explain, and expand. God's diverse kingdom coming from Galatians 3.28 as it pertains to race, class, and gender. When God said he's going to do something, he doesn't really give you time to catch up. You you, you just got to go with him. And he has been expanding. And we believe not only is he going to do more in 2024, but we're going to give him more in 2024. Now, he's expanding the body, the church as an institution, to do things we've never done before. That's part of the Christian faith. But I also believe there are things he wants to do in each and every one of us personally. Let me say that again. He's expanding us corporately. He's expanding us as a body, institutionally, praise God. But he's also expanding each and every one of us personally. Um, God is after seeing us grow and become more and more like Jesus. So I'm going to encourage you, um, don't fight the expansion that he's doing in your life. It may hurt. I mean, all growth is is going to hurt. Uh, But on the other side of this pain is great fruit. Jesus had to tell Paul on the Damascus Road, Why are you kicking against the pricks? The pricks were goads designed to keep an animal, namely horses, in check. So if they started acting up uh, in the stable, there were these sharp things that would keep them in place. But if they would get too rowdy and rebellious, they would kick against the goads and the pricks, hurting themselves. And Jesus came to Paul and said, why are you kicking Why are you fighting what I am trying to do in your life? Because if you notice, when Paul got converted, he immediately went out and preached Christ. I'm in the book now. I'm in the book. He immediately went out and preached Christ. Well, how could he do that? Because the same scriptures he was studying to try to disprove Jesus as the Christ were the same scriptures he used to prove that Jesus was the Christ. But I believe that while he was studying to try to put down Jesus, the Spirit was talking to him about Jesus, but he was resisting it. And then the Holy Spirit, Jesus, showed up on that road and said, man, it's time for you to grow for real. So for those of you that that are on this road, don't fight. Um, Don't fight against him. Fight with him. Fight for him. I just dropped that in for free. Okay. Amen. But it's Christmas time. And uh, we're in a series called The Voices of Christmas from the Gospel of Luke. 
voices of Christmas. Do you hear what I hear? And we've gone through the voice of the angel Gabriel, the voice of Mary last week, and today the voice of Zacharias. Um, And so before I read the passage, let me set the context just a little bit. This man has been silent for nine months. Remember that? Um, Gabriel basically disciplined him because he questioned God. Mary asked a question. Zach questioned God. And because of that, he was disciplined. And Gabriel said, you're not going to be able to talk until the child is born. Well, he must have had some good Mac, as I said, at Belmont University when I went there and shared with them about Zacharias. Because this old man left the temple, couldn't talk, went home and talked to his old lady and was still able to get next to her, if you know what I mean, without able to say one word. But anyway, he was a, he was a Mac from way back. Old Zach. <laughs> yeah. So John the Baptist has been born. He's been born. It's the eighth day now in the Jewish custom. They're ready to circumcise John. They're also ready to name him. And the community is so happy for this elderly couple that they're trying to bogart their way in there and say what the boy is going to be named. And Elizabeth is like, no, his name is John. Because that's what the angel said. Then these nosy folk in the community was like, nobody in your family named John. (laughs) So Zacharias was like, hand me a tablet. He's like, "Mm -hmm." handed him a tablet, and he writes John on it. And it's at that point, his mouth opens, and he's able to speak. We're going to read what he said after being silent for over nine months. But let me ask you a question. If you couldn't talk for nine months, what would be the first thing that would come out of your mouth? Would it be a praise? Would it be a prophecy? Would it be a prayer? I hope that's what would come out of my mouth. And as I read this, I want you to put yourself in Zacharias's shoes. Okay, now in order to do that, we got to go back a little bit because this prophecy he's about to give is coming from the vantage point, listen to this, of an oppressed person. Okay, we're not going to read the Bible from the top down. We're going to read it from the bottom up. These are, he's not only an oppressed person from an oppressed people, but they are also under Roman occupation. So there's a lot of political stuff going on at the time when the Messiah came. And there were things that were on the hearts and minds of the people then, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, that really is reminiscent of what's going on now in the world when we think of people who are being oppressed and even occupied in the Holy Land. So let's be sensitive as we begin reading at verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop right there, because there's a comma. Just hold one minute. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I love this because the Holy Spirit didn't technically come until the day of Pentecost, which would be many, many years later, where he would fill men and women. Um, but I love this about God, and Elder Aubrey loves to say this, and that is we need to be careful that we don't try to put a limit on what God can do. You see, in seminary, I'm taught systematic theology. In seminary, I'm taught things like dispensationalism, how God works in a nice, neat structure and box with all these systems and regiments. Okay, there's a place for that, but it better be second place to the sovereignty of God because as soon as you put God in a box, he's going to blow the box up because not only is this man filled with the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost, if we go back a few verses, his wife Elizabeth is also filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just so glad people are filled with the Holy Spirit. I know I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, because he was filled, he prophesied. And he said, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who had been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So they're looking for the Messiah to come to deliver them from their enemies. I'll speak on that a little bit more in a moment, but they're looking for not only spiritual deliverance, the horn of salvation, but they're also looking for national deliverance from their enemies. We know that Jesus came the first time, first advent, and he's going to deal with the spiritual issue. But when he comes the second time, he's going to deal with the national stuff. They thought it was all going to be one time, but we got this revelation on this side. Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemy. See, when you are oppressed, you're asking God to deliver you from oppression. Hmm. And then he said that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, looking at his son, John, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Oh, he's prophesying. God has given him some information straight from heaven. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. What's his boy going to do? Baptize people for the remission of their sins in anticipation of the Messiah who would come to take away sin. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness, thank you, God, and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. There's so much in that. Prophecy, that prayer, this psalm. But let us not forget, as he's saying this, Caesar Augustus is on the throne in Rome followed by Tiberius and Caligula and Claudius and Nero. 
and then Titus, who will destroy Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So some of the prayers he's praying are going to be fulfilled. Some of the things Zechariah is prophesying will be fulfilled. Other things he's saying and prophesying and praying will occur later. Some of us are waiting on God to do it now. Some things he will do now. Some things he will do later. But I'm going to take the last sentence of his prophecy for our title today, and that is guide our feet in the way of peace. Guide our feet in the way of peace. So the first question I have is, what is peace? What is peace? Well, in the Old Testament, the word is shalom. In the New Testament, the word is irene. They both have pretty much the same concept and meaning. When you combine shalom and irene, it basically means a couple of things. Number one, it means harmony. Secondly, it means tranquility. Third, liberty. So what is peace? It is harmony. It is tranquility. It is liberty. Well, what is harmony? Harmony is when you have different sounds, different elements coming together as one. They're not the same, but they blend together to form one sound. That sounds better together than they do apart. So when you have harmony, so when you have harmony, what you also have is reconciliation. You have perhaps people who are at odds with one another. They're able to come together in harmony to reconcile, not having to stop being who they are, but learning how to blend who they are with the other so that they might have one sound together. Reconciliation, harmony. But then there's also this thing called tranquility. And tranquility is calmness. So when you have peace, you have calmness. When you have calmness from God, you have assurance. Blessed assurance, the songwriter said. What? Jesus is mine. So when you're assured that you have the, uh, how the book of Hebrews calls him, he's the anchor of our souls that he holds amid the veil. We have assurance. Our lives are built on the rock who is Christ. Tranquility, calmness, assurance. But then there's liberty. When you have peace, you have liberty. What does that mean? That means you are free. Listen to this. Free to go on. When you have peace, you are free to go on despite the distractions and the disturbances. You are free to go on. Uh, no matter who's going with you, or who's not going with you. You are free to go where God has called you to go. I come to another hymn. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Oh, y'all better be happy I'm not a singer, because right now I will start singing, uh, when peace like a river attendeth it. Oh, y'all better be glad I can't sing. Russell, if I had your gift, boy. But anyway, let me stay in my lane and keep on preaching. Having peace during Christmas time can be difficult. You know, our 
a worship pastor just said that her brother, man she grew up with, who's technically her cousin, but like a brother, uh, Mr. Rod Smith, passed away unexpectedly yesterday. And she is leaving Monday evening to fly to Charlotte. Terrence and Trey will join them on Thursday, and they will preside over his funeral on Saturday. It's like, wow, God, life does change in a minute. And this will be her first Christmas without her brother. And we got people in here right now. We all grieve differently. I was speaking with Tony Steele, my barber, yesterday. And he has one grandparent or one parent left, his wife's father. And we all grieve differently. But for some of us, we're kind of hesitant going into this holiday because this is the first time we're going to have Christmas without you fill in the blank. And it's going to be tough, but you will get through it in your own way. Amen? Mm -hmm. It can be difficult. Um, some of us, when we think about having peace during Christmas time, it's not just about even loved ones we're missing. Some of us are like, man, I need peace in my house. That's sermon point number two. So if you hang on in there, I'll get there. Because somebody said, man, there hadn't been a silent night in my house. <laughs> hadn't been a holy night in my house in a minute. So hurry up and get to that part number two. But here's the thing. <laughs> we need peace. But unfortunately, we cannot experience peace without conflict. Did you hear me? We want peace. But the thing that makes peace peace is conflict. I would like to have peace without the conflict. But you can't get peace or appreciate peace without conflict. <laughs> conflict is what makes peace necessary. Conflict is what makes peace meaningful. And conflict is what makes peace medicinal. Mm. And this is why peace must come from God. Well, for my visual learners, peace is like a two-sided coin. Pastor, don't coins have two sides anyway? That is, unless it's a fake coin where it's heads on both sides. You know, some of y'all used to do that stuff back in the day. Uh, but no, a two-sided coin, one side of the coin of peace is the absence of conflict. That's peace, one side of it. The absence of conflict. Lord, I want peace. In other words, Lord, I want the absence of conflict. And he can do it. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. That's what you want, don't you? That's what I want. I want him to speak to my situation, speak to my circumstances, and make it calm, just like that. And sometimes he does that. But most of the time, it's side two of this coin, which is the presence of God in the face of conflict. So what is peace? Peace can be the absence of conflict. And or it can be the presence of God in the face of the conflict. 
John 16, the same Messiah speaks these words. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. So where's peace found? In him, in Christ. He goes on to say, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The world you live in has trouble in it. But the God that you're positioned in by grace has peace in him. So you're going to have peace, but in the midst of conflict. And I believe Jesus is more concerned with calming storms in us than he is with calming storms around us. Can, can I say, I'm, I'm going to say it to this side of the room. <laughs> I really want him to calm the storm around me. And sometimes he does. But I believe he's more concerned with calming the storm and saying to me, peace, be still. In spite of the storm around you, in spite of the storm that you're going through, he's done something to your inner equilibrium spiritually that you're able to stand up against the vicissitudes that are coming against you at hurricane force because greater is he that is in you than anything coming against you in the world. He's able to give you that peace that surpasses your understanding. How am I not losing my mind right now? God gave you. This steadiness, this calmness, this tranquility, this liberty, this harmony. Because peace is a gift from God. Peace is a gift from God. Which is why Jesus would say, peace I give you, but not as the world. Some of us used to have to get peace from smoking weed. When I was coming up. I made the football team and I made the baseball team. I got cut from the basketball team. Uh, I blame it on my sneakers. I blame it on my sneakers. My, my parents couldn't buy me nice sneakers. So basically, my tennis shoes were like skates. They had no traction on them. I went up for a layup and then poof, just fell. So I blame it on my sneakers. That's why I didn't make the team. Uh, but, but the basketball players, they had a ritual. You would have to walk through a cloud to get into the gymnasium to watch the game because they were out in the courtyard area outside getting high before the game because they couldn't play unless they were high. Did anybody else go to school like that or was it just me in a public school? Some of y'all remember that, right? You had to get mellowed out from the weed or, or from drinking or whatever. Just, you needed tranquility that the world provided to calm you down. But Jesus says, what I'm giving you is not like what the world gives you. Lord, we need your peace. And don't let us turn to other stuff. When we profess to know Jesus, to find other things to try to fill a place that only he can fill. And after that thing ministers to our flesh for a moment, because the joys of sin only last a season. Then we are awakened to how we've grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit, and it's not worth it. Lord, help us to learn to turn to you and not to those things. John 14, 27, as I mentioned, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? So peace must come from God. I can't fabricate it. I can't conjure it up. Yes, it's a gift from God that he delights to give to us when we pray and ask him. So the first thing I want you to see today, Lord, please give us peace in our homes. Lord, please give us peace in our homes. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 36 this one of them things that will make you scratch your head that Jesus says. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Wait a minute. That's messing up all the little Christmas hymns and everything. In a minute, we're going to read from Luke 2 where the angels are like, you know, he brings peace on earth. But this is why we interpret Scripture with Scripture at Strong Tower, the whole counsel of the Word of God. And we got to stay within the context of what's happening here. He's talking about discipleship, what it means to follow him. Listen to this, y'all. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus, what is going on here? Let me see if I can make it plain. What he's saying here is every other relationship in your life must pale in comparison to your relationship with him. We're not worthy to be his disciples if we put people before him. I don't care who they are, which goes back to the Exodus, not to put any God or anything before the one true and living God. That's called idolatry. And sometimes we can put our parents and our children before Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you do that, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Because when you put Jesus before everything and everyone, you will have war with people in your house who don't put Jesus before everything and everyone. Peace is coming, but let's get some of this conflict first. Because I don't know what you came out of this morning to get here. I don't know what's waiting for you when you get back home. And you want peace in your house? Well, Jesus is saying right here, though, when he is first, when he is most you can expect conflict with people who don't have him first and have him most in their lives. So to have peace in your house, sometimes you got to hold your peace. I'm not talking about you running around there acting holier than thou, but don't be afraid to be holy. Because somebody got some unsaved folks in their family. Some of you are married to somebody who isn't saved. Or if they say they're saved, they don't show that they're saved. Quiet in here, that means y'all are thinking, right? <laughs> but to have peace in your house, sometimes you have to hold your peace. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, to hold your peace is to be silent and cease from speaking. Matthew 26, verse 63, for all my King James Version people here, I know y'all going to love this, but Jesus held his peace. I want peace in my house. Hold your peace. 
Matthew 26, 63 in the New King James Version, same verse, but Jesus kept silent. So there's some fights in your house naturally because, listen, you're not wrestling against people, wrestling against spirits. And if your house, as for me in my house, well, as for me in this house, I'm serving the Lord. There's ought in there. You don't always have to have a fussing match with people in your house. You don't always have to have arguments. Just because they're calling you into something doesn't mean you have to take the invitation. You want peace in your house? Sometimes you got to hold your peace. Sometimes you have to be silent. You want to be like Jesus, right? Well, when they were falsely accusing him, he kept his mouth shut. But I know I've had to fight all my life. I just want to fight. And you keep wondering why there's no peace. Y'all always fighting in there. Proverbs says, answer a fool, don't answer a fool. Some of y'all baby daddies going to be calling y'all. And they're going to want to get into it with you and mess your peace up. Don't lower yourself to that level. Stay above it with the help of God. Hold your peace. Be silent. Don't take the bait. And if you're married to a woman or a man who's an unbeliever, let's do what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says. Win your spouse without words. Stop preaching, stop preaching, stop preaching, and win them with words. I'm just trying to help somebody out this Christmas season. Lord, please give us peace in our churches. Churches are places full with people, and therefore churches are places full with problems. First time guests, if you're here, let me just let y'all know we got problems. <laughs> Jesus is perfect. We are not. There's some dysfunction up in here. I am the chief of sinners up in here. <laughs> I hope you come back next week. But many times we are at war with others because we're at war with ourselves. Why are there fights in the church, James 4? Because there's stuff going on in you. We're jealous. We're petty. Tongues will destroy a church quickly. I'm not talking about 1 Corinthians 14 tongues. I'm talking about James chapter 3 tongues. Gossip, slander, putting folk down. But every letter addressed to a local church in the New Testament addresses a particular problem that a church had. So in Romans chapter 1, knowing that there's a problem in Rome, Paul's like, man, y'all need grace and peace. So let me open up this letter by saying to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, let, let, let me speak peace over y'all. Before I start dealing with all these things in every church. And here's the thing. Whenever you would enter into a home in that culture, you would say, peace be unto you. When Jesus in his resurrected state would come and see uh, the disciples, he would walk in and say, peace be unto you. 
peace. And if you go into a house and they don't receive you, then let your peace return to you. Peace is so important. So Paul opens up Romans by saying grace and peace to y'all. It's so important to Paul that he says the same thing in Galatians. He says the same thing in Ephesians. He says the same thing in Philippians. He says the same thing in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. He starts every letter by saying grace and peace to y'all. Because what are we going to need to work through problems in church, with the, which ain't nothing but a household? We need grace. And we need peace from God. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Some people just don't want to live in peace. You do your part. Try to extend an olive branch. Try to have peace with them. But you can't make them. But this is when you have peace and you go on. You are free to go on. Don't you make that person an idol by, by keep on trying, keep on trying, keep going. Do what you can to live at peace with all men. Do your part. But thirdly and finally, Lord, please give us peace in our world. We need peace in our homes, peace in our churches. Now, peace in our world. The Church of Nativity, I was doing some reading last week and the church in Bethlehem that is believed to be the area that Christ was born. See, over there in the Middle East, in Israel, if they think Jesus did anything anywhere, um, the Catholics built a church on the spot. We think he was born here, so they put a church there. Uh, we think he spit on the ground over here and made mud, they put a church right there. I'm being facetious, but that's kind of how it is over there. Because when you go into that building, and we've been in there twice, you walk down there, got marble everywhere and all this stuff, and you're like, this ain't where he was born. <laughs> but they're commemorating the spot. And they have all kind of festivities in Bethlehem surrounding the birth of Christ. It's a good tourist attraction to bring money into the economy. But because of the war in the West Bank, I read last week that Christmas is canceled this year because of the war. Mm. The song that Stevie Wonder sings, Someday at Christmas, is so powerful. Listen to these words. Someday at Christmas, men won't be boys playing with bombs like kids play with toys. One warm December, our hearts will see a world where men are free. Someday at Christmas, there will be no war when we have learned what Christmas is for. When we have found what life's really worth, there will be peace on earth. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus' first coming ushered in spiritual peace through his cross. His second coming will usher in world peace through his reign. Jesus' kingdom is a government that will be characterized by peace. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. His first coming brings spiritual peace through the cross. His second coming brings world peace through his reign or through his crown. Peace is a gift from God. So to have peace in our homes, our churches, and our world, we must keep Jesus, the Prince of Peace, at the center of it all. Jesus, we need you to be at the center of it all. And because I can't control what happens in the church, because I can't control what happens in the world, I can't even really control what happens in my home. Lord, would you be at the center of my life? Because I have peace with God. Romans 5.1, I can now have the peace of God. Give me peace, God. Peace is harmony, tranquility, and liberty. Peace is like a two-sided corn, the absence of conflict and the presence of God in the face of conflict. And peace is a gift that God gives to his children. So as the worship team comes to sing this final song, if you need peace in your heart, Peace in your home. Peace with people in this church to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of the world. The altar is open in this house of prayer, and then we'll close. I want some of the sisters to come and lay hands on Dr. Joel. Father, a man in a jail cell said these words, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God and the peace of God of God shall transcend your mind. The peace of God shall transcend your mind. Father, I pray for any and everyone in this place who's been disturbed and distracted, frustrated, been at war with you themselves, with others, that they would ask you for peace, peace that will surpass and transcend their understanding. 
If there's anyone else in the house who is going through significant loss, might they ask you for peace to calm the storm around them and to calm the storm in them. For every box that we will go down the hall and pack and prepare and deliver, may we go to each person in each home and speak peace over their home, over their circumstances, over their situations in the name of Jesus. Lord, we need your peace so that we don't do something foolish. We need your peace so that we don't say something foolish. We pray for that fruit of the Spirit that only the Holy Spirit can give. We need peace, oh God. And as our leader goes to be with family in Charlotte, mount her up on wings like an eagle. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church. Lord, sometimes she just wants to be the younger sister, the younger cousin. and She just want to be, she want to grieve. Father, give her what she needs in this moment. I thank you, Lord, that you built her for this storm. You put everything in her that she needs to weather this storm, to serve her family and even to lead her family. Because the strength that will be operating in her will not be her own, it will be yours, being made perfect in her weakness. So, Father, we send her out asking that she will be a blessing there and that you bring her back to us safely. We thank you in advance. We bless you for how good you've been to her, to us. Now, may the grace of God and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide from this point now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Go in peace and have a blessed, blessed day. I hope you're leaving out better than you came in. Is anybody leaving out better than how they came in? Amen. Bless you.